Milton Bradley had his game called Mall Madness. It's a board game, sort of like Monopoly. The description goes something like this. Will you be the first to lose your money? You are let loose in a shopping mall with $200. Go to it. Spend it all quickly. Empty your pockets first, and you win the game. When you spend every cent, your marker moves triumphantly into the winner's space, which is labeled broke. And you win. A recent survey of female teenagers discovered 93% of female teenagers said their number one favorite pastime was shopping. And that actually beat out dating. One guy said, if my wife does not go shopping at least three times a week, I send her a get well card. <laughs> this weekend we're wrapping up our sermon series on building strong families. We look at the ninth and the tenth commandments. So please take out the sermon notes that have been prepared for you. Look at Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. See, this desire to acquire is not in itself bad. God actually puts that desire in you. See, God made the little squirrels and he gave them the desire to acquire nuts. God made birds and he gave them the desire to acquire straw to build their nests. God filled the world with all kinds of exciting and wonderful, good, desirable things. And God gave you the desire to acquire. So the desire to acquire is not bad. But in your notes, the uncontrolled desire to acquire is bad. Uncontrolled desires are always the problem. And this is certainly an age of coveting. God says there are some things that are off limits. They're not yours even to want. They will harm you. Your desires must be controlled. It's hard in our culture to want to be content just with what you have. So Martin Luther asked that famous question, what does this mean? For the ninth commandment, he says we should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way that only appears right but help and be a service to him in keeping it. In commandment number 10, we should fear and love God so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers, or animals or turn them against them, but urge them to stay and do their duty. So the Bible gives us four specific effects of always wanting more of not controlling our desire to acquire or coveting. So number one in your notes, the first effect of always wanting more is fatigue. In our push to get more and more, and never in history have we been so pushed to get so much more so quickly. In our push we overcome work, we overwork, we take second jobs, Everybody in the family works. 
it's the material rat race. Therefore, everybody is tired. Look at Proverbs 23 where Solomon says, Do not wear yourself out to be rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. So he's saying it's dumb to wear yourself out just trying to keep up with the Joneses. How much is enough? In your notes, the answer is usually just a little more, just a little more, but never enough. It's difficult to show restraint. Number two in your notes, the second effect of always wanting more is debt. Look at Ecclesiastes 5 verse 11 where Solomon says, The more money you have, the more money you spend. Coveting destroys budgets. You think the problem is I just did not make enough money? No, that's not what the problem is. You just want too much. So any you notice a lot of needs are simply our greeds. The average American puts $1,300 on a credit card for every $1,000 that he makes. That's really called deficit spending. And the only people who seem to get away with it are in government. Because we want more, we just get further in debt. It always costs more to have more. You see, if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you can bet the water bill is higher. Two effects of always wanting more. Number one, fatigue. Number two, debt. Number three, the third effect of always wanting more is worry. When we focus on things, we always inevitably worry more. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. Look at Ecclesiastes 5 verse 12. A working man can get a good night's sleep, but the rich man has so much, he stays awake worrying. You're always thinking, how am I going to protect this? How am I going to save it? How am I going to invest it? How am I going to insure it? How am I going to avoid taxes on it? How am I going to keep from losing it? The more you have, the more you have got to worry about. The white-collar man comes home, and he brings his work home with him. And he's frustrated. He's thinking about it all night. He tosses and turns. See, in your notes, insomnia increases with your income. You have three, first three, fatigue, debt, and worry. That leads us to the fourth effect of always wanting more. Number four in your notes, dissatisfaction. See, the number one cause of divorce is financial tension, arguments over your money and over possessions. And there's dissatisfaction. Look at Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. You will never be satisfied if you long to be rich. You will never get all you want. And the Living Bible says it's foolish to think wealth brings happiness. See, things can bring happiness only for a short while. But the thrill of things will not last. The excitement of things wear off. When you get something and open the package, you're thinking, wow, this is so great. But after a while, it's not so great anymore. You are bored with that new old piece of furniture or that old car that you have. Why? 
Why don't things keep you more permanently happy? Because you see, things do not change. Human beings change. If things were not, do not change, we get bored with them. That's why we have things called fashion today. We have styles today. Things do not change and we get bored with them. So we must have something new. And pretty soon we have to redecorate. Or we have to remodel. Or we need to repair. Or at least in our house we need to rearrange. Things do not give permanent happiness. So how many of you today are still thrilled about your Christmas gift that you received last Christmas? At least as thrilled as you were when you opened it. In fact, how many of you even remember last year's Christmas gift? Things do not bring lasting happiness. It's only a temporary thrill. So in your notes, the antidote to coveting. Write this down. It's contentment. Your coveting is the number one reason for dissatisfaction. The antidote, how do we overcome this out-of-control desire to acquire? In your notes, look at Philippians 4 where Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content, whether living in plenty or in want. Circle that word learn in that text. Contentment is something that you have to learn. Contentment does not come naturally. See, I am not by nature a contented person. Neither are you. It's not automatic. You have to learn to be content. It's an educational process. So Paul talks about four ways to learn contentment. Number one, the first way to learn contentment on the back of your notes, resist comparing myself to others. Yeah, resist comparing. Comparing always leads to coveting. So resist it. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. We do not dare classify or compare ourselves. It's not wise, Paul says. That means comparing is dumb. If you are comparing yourself, your houses, your cars, your jobs, your looks, your clothes, it's stupid. It's not wise. God says by comparing, you just create dissatisfaction. And one of the greatest lessons you can learn in your notes, you need to learn to admire without having to acquire. How do you react when you see somebody have a nicer house or more beautiful furniture than you? You do not have to own everything to enjoy it. You can learn to admire without having to acquire. But why? Do we compare? The Bible says, don't do it. But why do we? Our society says it's simply a way of keeping score. Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 9. When we long to be rich, we are a prey to temptation. We get trapped into all sorts of foolish and dangerous ambitions, which eventually plunge us into ruin. So we look around and ask, how am I doing? But you see, your net worth is not equal to your self-worth. And you know the lesson for us then. Your net worth and your self-worth are not the same thing. You can be a millionaire and be a jerk at the same time. You can be poor and yet be wonderful. Your net worth is not equal to your self-worth. Number one, resist comparing yourself to others. Number two, the second way to learn contentment 
in your notes. Rejoice in what I do have. You need to appreciate what you have got and be grateful to God for it. Open your eyes just to see what you do have. Look at Ecclesiastes 5 verse 19. If God gives a man wealth and property, he should be grateful. Enjoy what he has. It's a gift from God. Circle the words grateful and enjoy. God says that he wants you to enjoy. He wants you to be grateful for what you have got. It's a gift. You would not have anything if it were not from God. We're to avoid. We're to avoid that when and then thinking. When and then thinking is saying, when I get such and such, then I'll be happy. You just fill in the blank. So what are you waiting for to make you happy? For example, when I get married, then I'll be happy. Or when I have kids, then I'll be happy. When I get my next job, then I'll be happy. Wrong. You're as happy as you choose to be right now. It's your choice. Forget when and then thinking. Happiness in your nose is not getting more and more of what you want. Happiness is simply enjoying what you have because it's all a gift from God. In fact, God enjoys. God enjoys watching you enjoy what he has given to you. So number one, resist comparing. Number two, rejoice in what you have. Number three, the third way to learn contentment in your notes. Release what I have to help others. God does not want to bless you for your own benefit only. You are blessed to be a blessing. God wants you to share it, to help other people with it. God is watching to see how much you give away. Look at 1 Timothy 6. Tell those who are rich, Paul says, not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. Tell them to use their money to do good, to give happily to those in need. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. This is a very important verse in learning your contentment. First of all, who is Paul talking to here? He says, those who are rich. Who does that include today? Well, if you're living in America, you already are in the top 2% of the income of this world. And even if you are on welfare, if you are living on, in America, you're still rich. People in our church here are living on, in the top 2% of the income of our world. So no matter how little you make, this verse is talking to you and to me. So Paul gives four guidelines. Four guidelines to avoid materialism. In your notes number one, he says, don't be proud. Materialism is simply an attitude. See, you can be poor and still be greedy. It's not the amount. Don't think you are better than somebody because you have more money than they have got. Don't be proud. And don't trust in money. Do not look to your money for your security. Security is not in your bank account. Your security is in God. Paul says, don't be proud. Don't trust in money. Number three, he says, use your money to do good. That means you don't waste it. If you have money, don't squander it away. Don't blow it. And certainly do not gamble with it away. 
A good steward uses it to do good. And then number four, give cheerfully. The Bible says that the more we receive, the more we are to give. Giving is the cure for that disease, the disease of materialism. And the root of materialism is always the word get. Get and get more. The opposite of getting always is giving. So every time I give, I'm breaking the grip of materialism in my own life. There's a story of a guy who died, goes to heaven. He saw his best friend driving around in a Mercedes. So he asked St. Peter, what is that? Peter said, the transportation that you're given here in heaven is based on how much you have given away, how much you have sent on ahead. What about me, he said. St. Peter said, well, you are not too generous. So he was given a moped. He was really feeling kind of bad. Until a couple weeks later, he met with an elder up there from his church who was on roller skates. Number one, resist comparing yourself to others. Number two, rejoice in what I do have. Number three, release what I have to help others. Number four, the fourth way we learn contentment in your notes. Refocus on what's going to last. You give your attention to permanent values. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. We fix our attention not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. What can be seen lasts only for a short time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. See, everything you see is temporary. Nothing you see is going to last. Everything you see in the world is eventually going to decay or rust or wear out or fall apart. It will eventually not last. So in your notes, for the Christian, the cross says you are worth a lot. The cross of Jesus and his love for you gives you real value. And the only things that are really going to last for eternity are those things that you cannot see. Your relationship with God because of Jesus. Your relationship to others. Your Christian values. So in conclusion, do we need a spiritual checkup? The tough question to answer is this. What am I really living for? Is the primary goal of my life just to get more and to get ahead? In fact, what do I think about the most? What do I talk about the most? What do I spend time most on? Why in the world did God make me and why am I still here on this earth? A funeral was held in Beverly Hills. A wealthy widow lady who was worth millions, she died. And the people gathered around the edge of her casket. And someone said, this is so sad. She had so much to live on. She had nothing to live for. Do you have so much to live on? So little to live for? Today I want to challenge you. That myth, having more will make me more happy, simply is not true. Is your lifestyle determined, number one, in your notes by the culture? Or is it determined by Christ? Is your lifestyle determined by Christ as your master and your Lord, as Jeff said? Or is your life determined by culture, by Madison Avenue today? Four steps to break the grip of materialism. Resist comparing 
Rejoice in what I do have. Release what I have to help others. Refocus on what's going to last. Amen.